with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, in this world, we have many choices to make. Choices about where we invest our time, where we invest our energy, where we invest our money. And choices are made every single day. Where are we going to do that? And life is busy. Life comes at you a thousand miles an hour and you have to make all these choices. And so often we make choices that aren't the best or the wisest because what do we do? We make choices that are based on pressure. Harry Chapin wrote a song, a classic song, titled Cats in the Cradle. I'm sure most of you are really pretty familiar with the song. And the lyrics are actually incredibly powerful, just to listen to them, because they describe so well how we often live. They go like this. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. When are you coming home, Dad? Oh, I don't know when, son, but we'll, have a, we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do, he said. That's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. And he said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be like him. I knew this was going to be tough. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when. But we'll get together then, son. You know we'll have a good time then. Well, he came home from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? When are you coming home, son? I don't know when. But we'll get together then, Dad. You know we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's, it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me. He'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. Now, does that not say it? This dad loved his son, but he loved his work more. This is why he sacrificed his son for his work. Because as Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Likewise, where we invest our time, our energy, our money, it reveals where our heart is truly at. 
But what Jesus wants us to do is he wants to persuade us, persuade us to give our hearts to what really matters, to take a moment and to look at things and gain perspective and not make this, the same mistakes that we have in the past, that we would, we would understand, we would perceive the truth, the reality, the goodness of what he is saying, and that we would, we would get it and that we'd pursue what really matters. This is why he says that the Father delights to give you the kingdom. He wants them to know the Father delights to give you the kingdom. That's a powerful statement. That's a huge statement which just is loaded because Jesus knows. He knows what the kingdom's all about. He knows the blessings of the kingdom. He knows how amazing it is. He knows that it's worth everything you have. But he also knows that the people there standing before him don't really get it. They don't understand how great it is. Now, obviously, Jesus, Jesus himself, he says, he didn't say that he delights to give them the kingdom, but we know that he does. He says, the Father delights to give you the kingdom, but Jesus could just as well say, I delight to give you the kingdom. Because the Father and the Son are one. What the Father wants, the Son wants. What the Father delights in, the Son delights in. So the son, he, he delights to give you the kingdom as well. It wasn't like, oh yeah, you know, I don't really, that doesn't really matter to me. But the father, he delights to give you the kingdom. No, Jesus, he could just as easily said, I delight as well. I want to give you the kingdom. And I want you to have the kingdom. I want you to know the blessings of the kingdom. So here we're seeing, at this, with this statement, we are seeing something about the heart of God. You know, I never even realized, I I did not even make the connection between what I was saying here and the fact that it being Father's Day, it didn't even cross my mind. It didn't even cross my mind, that Cats in the Cradle song. Honestly, not for a split second, and I'm reading it, and I can't believe it's Father's Day. Day. Yeah. (laughs) There was no intention, but God is sovereign, praise be to God. God is revealing, Jesus is revealing the heart of God. It's God's true delight to see all men everywhere God's heart is to see all men everywhere He wants to see them repent and enter his blessing. As 1 Timothy 2, 4 says, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. We also have his, um, his heart is revealed 
in Ezekiel 33:11, where God says, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Did you hear that? God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. None. But that the wicked would turn from his way and live. I think a lot of times we misunderstand the heart of our God. We think him to be harsh. We think him perhaps to be cold. Pray for me. This is tough. We think of him to be distant or unloving, perhaps. But... uh, if we understood how much he's, how patient he is, how, much, how loving he is, how much he desires a sinner to repent, it would truly break our own hearts. And this is why actually Jesus came to seek, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. This is why there's a party in heaven, as he says in Luke, whenever a sinner repents. This is why our Lord, the shepherd, will leave the 99 and go after and find the one lost sheep. It's because our God desires all men everywhere to repent and enter into the joy of his kingdom. It's his delight. It's his delight to give you the kingdom. And this isn't just any old average kingdom. It's unlike any other kingdom you could ever imagine. Because it's an eternal kingdom that overflows with love, joy, and peace. As Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. So the very nature of the kingdom makes it so that when you experience it, it supersedes anything and everything the world has ever given you. So when we know what this kingdom is, is like, and we understand what our king is like, this heavenly father desires for us. If we know him, we know his heart, and we know his kingdom and what he's like, we know the essence of this kingdom is love, joy, peace, and righteousness. That's the nature of that kingdom. Let me ask you a question. If you could possess everything you ever wanted in this world, everything and anything, you name it, if you could possess it all, or have the kingdom of God, which would you choose? How you answer that question reveals what you understand and believe about God, what you understand and believe about the world, and what you understand and believe about where the greatest returns really are at. Because if there's an inclination in your heart toward the world and the things in this world, let me just say you've not lived in this world long enough. Because one thing's for certain about everything in this world, it doesn't last. The pleasures are good, but they're short-lived, and they're always broken. They always, you always come up wanting. Name one physical thing in this world that does not give diminishing returns. 
that does not deteriorate or rust, that does not require lots of maintenance to keep it. It seems that everything in this world has one propensity, does it not? Toward decay. doesn't matter what it is. You've got to work hard to, just to maintain it. It's headed in one direction. And the joy and the pleasure that you got from, yes, there's joy and there's pleasure. There's no denying that. But it's diminishing. And somehow it always feels broken. It always seems to come up just a little bit short. We always want just, could we get a little bit more? Yet the things in this world are so deceptive. Because as long as something is new, fresh, and highly maintained, they have a lot of appeal to them. However, as I mentioned in sermons past a couple weeks ago, there's a short shelf life. New anything is only new for a while. Leave it, don't maintain it, and what happens to it? Deteriorates. It rusts. On the other hand, in the kingdom of God, the pleasures are not only amazing, but they're eternal. As Psalm 16 says, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Think about that for a second. In his presence is fullness of joy. When he says fullness, he means that you're so full of joy that you're like maxed out. And at his right hand are pleasures, pleasures forevermore. Every good gift, even in this world, everything that you say, wow, that's good. Man, that's nice. Wow, that's great. is a gift from his hand. He's, he's, the, he's the God of all goodness. Everything good in life was a gift to you. Did you enjoy anything? That's a gift. Even the things in this earth, but God says, you know what? The things in this earth, one thing you'll notice, they deteriorate, they pass away, but I never do. My joys are eternal. This is why anyone who's ever tasted the goodness of the Lord says, can say with a full heart, indeed, there's nothing, let me repeat, nothing like the presence of God in his kingdom. Those who haven't tasted, however, don't know what I'm talking about because they've not yet tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But I understand I can completely understand those who are deceived by the world and the things in the world because they're actually physical. And you can, you can touch them. You can smell them. You can taste them. You can hear these things. They're physical. The blessings of the kingdom, however, are, are spiritual and are therefore they're unseen. They can't be seen. They can't be touched. They can't be smelled. They can't be tasted. Just think of, for example, just think of love or think of joy or peace or contentment, fulfillment. They can't, you can't touch love, joy, peace. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. You can only experience it. Now, don't get me wrong. We can see their manifestations. We actually can see love coming out. But like the wind, you don't see the wind. You see the manifestation of the wind. And we often call that love. Well, what the love is, love begins, it's, it's an, eternal thing, an internal thing that gets experienced here and expressed out here. 
Like the wind, it gets expressed, it gets manifested. So you can't say that you have love and have no expression of love. It's like saying you have wind and the, we- the trees aren't blowing. So I'm not saying that it's not, it doesn't have a manifestation, but what I'm saying is that its experience is actually non-visible. This experience of the soul. When you know, when you know that somebody loves you deeply, and you experience a love from somebody deeply, where do you experience that? In your soul. It's not seen, but it is experienced. And it's more powerful than the things that are seen. Now here's the other aspect of it. Those riches, the riches of God's kingdom, the love, the joy, the peace, the contentment, the fulfillment, all these, these riches that are beyond description, beyond, beyond words or riches, they are only for those who believe. For those who don't believe, they don't receive. So when we doubt or when we're, we aren't believing the truth, we are robbed of the kingdom's blessings. It isn't like the physical world where you only experience the blessing when it's in your hand or it's in your mouth or before your eyes. For example, in the world, you, you don't experience the blessing of an orange until that orange is in your hand, until you smell orangeness, until you peel it all back, and then you take a piece of orange and you chew it and you swallow it. In the world, that's how we experience. We experience through stuff. And that's why it's so tangible. It's, It's this thing that you can put your hands on. However, it's not so with the kingdom. The kingdom blessings are not like the blessings of this world because they aren't visible to eyes. In the kingdom, it's like it's like feasting and eating. You remember in the Peter Pan movie? You remember Never Neverland? Peter shows up and they're feasting. They're all having this. The kids are just like celebrating the massive, most massive feast ever, but there's nothing there. <laughs> there's nothing there. And, and Peter's just confused. He's looking around. What's going on? These kids are this is insane. It's like enjoying error. And Tinkerbell said to him, come on, Peter, eat. He replies, eat what? There's nothing here. Gandhi ate more than this. <laughs> Great line. But something happened. I don't know if you remember. The moment he believed, everything changed. It was like he passed through the veil. And there was this feast like none other. That feast that only your imagination could create. The greatest feast of all time is right there. And the, and the way to receive this feast was through believing. This is how the blessings of God and his kingdom work. When we believe the promises of God, when we believe the words of Jesus, when we believe what he's done for us, when we, when we believe what, he, what he's doing for us now, what happens? We come alive. When you see what Jesus has done for you, and you hear those words, and when you believe them, you receive them. That love floods your heart, but not until. You can't have it. He's just presented out here. Jesus came. He lived as a man. He suffered and died under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. Just a bunch of data. 
He loved you so much that you, while you're sinners, while you're lost and away from God and, 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 and living a life of purposelessness, living a life of sinfulness, self-indulgence, and separated from God, and you hear this, when do you receive it? The blessings are there. They're right there. And the moment you receive it is when you believe it. You believe that he's loving you. If you doubt that Jesus loves you, you don't receive the blessing. In Christian life, our, our joy can be robbed of us. The blessings of the kingdom can be taken from us. You could have firmly believed and rest in the fact that my God loves me. Jesus loves me deeply, accepts me fully and completely. No questions asked. I am his. I belong to him. And this is my comfort in life and in death. When you cling to that, you hold to that, you know what you're filled with? You're filled with the love of Christ. You're filled with joy. You're filled with peace because you know that there's nothing between me and God. There's, there's peace there. There's nothing I have to worry about. There's no, there's no division. No, we're, we're one. And so the offer is there. The feast is before you. He says, take and eat. And yet we hesitate. There are times in our lives when we doubt. There are times in our lives where we, we're, we're questioning. And I guarantee you, during those times in our lives, it's pretty barren, isn't it? You're not experiencing the blessings of the kingdom your, your life is not overflowing with love. It's not overflowing with joy or with peace. You say, you know what? It pretty much stinks right now. Well, the problem is not with the kingdom's blessing. The problem is with you and your belief. The promises are there. God has spoken. The truth has happened. Christ has died. It's all done. It's finished. It's there. It's the reality. Now, whether you believe it or not, that's what's going to affect the blessings or not. Our hearts and our souls and our lives could be filled with the blessings of the kingdom if we believe. When we believe, we say yes and amen to it all. It is the best ever. I would give up everything for it. And this is why Jesus goes on to show that if, we, if you want the kingdom and know it to be the best ever, know to be the best thing that you could ever experience, you will invest everything in it. He knows that you will give all up everything for it because you know how great it is. It's greater than anything in this world. This is why he says what he does in verse 33. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. This whole idea of selling your possessions and giving to the poor is something actually Jesus has said before. It's exactly what he said to the rich young Euler in Matthew 19, 21, and what he says in Luke 18, 22. The rich young ruler, he wanted eternal life, and he asked Jesus how he could inherit it. And Jesus told him to sell everything he had and give it to the poor. Now, that doesn't make much sense on the surface of it, does it? Yeah, you want to come into the kingdom? You want to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him to sell everything and give it to the poor. He says here, sell your possessions and give to the needy and so that you have money bags in heaven, treasures in heaven, and not the, the rotting, deteriorating ones on earth. So what's, what's going on here? 
This, but this is the, the weird part is this is not some isolated incident. It's actually Jesus speaks this way a lot throughout the Gospels. And in fact, he, he extends the, the demand and the sacrifice that he has for those who would enter, extends even beyond giving your goods away. He, it goes into other areas as well. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. There was a multitude of people, and he turned to them and he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Pardon? You have to give up your family? What? This is strangeness. But wait, there's more. Like some, you know, shopping channel commercial. Jesus says that if you even have to give up your own life in Luke 9.23. He says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Not only that, but Jesus also said that he isn't interested in half-hearted followers because when there's, there's some sort of would-be followers who asked him, asked, whom he asked to follow him, he responded this way, or they responded this way. Let me first go and bury my father. Or the one who said, let me, let me go say well, farewell to those of my home. To which Jesus responded, nope, won't work. If you don't forsake all, you can't be my disciple. This is why he also said that counting the cost is like somebody going to build a tower. He has to sit down and calculate, first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, he's going to build a foundation and then become a ridicule when he can't finish it. The same language of, is used again and again throughout the Gospels about the sacrifice that's required, about what, what they must give up. So we scratch our heads and, oh man, let's get this straight. He's offering the kingdom. His delight is to give you the kingdom, but to come into the kingdom, you have to abandon everything in this world and all that's precious to you. What's going on? Why does Jesus say this stuff all the time? Aren't we saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Aren't we saved simply by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? To which the answer is yes. Yes. But here's the thing about faith. The faith acts, faith always acts in a certain way towards Jesus. And this is why Jesus puts it the way he does. He knows that faith is just not something in our heads. Faith is something we believe and latch onto and we follow, we pursue. Faith causes action. If you believe, you, you move forward. If you believe Jesus to be saying what he's saying, if you believe his commands, if you believe his call, if you believe his words, if you believe them, you act on them. So Jesus oftentimes will test faith by action. Let's put the money where the mouth is, right? Talk is cheap. We all know that, right? Anyone can say they'll show up on time. That's easy. And most, most everybody says they will. But we know that's not reality in this world. So here's the thing. Jesus calls, in, in Luke 5.11, when Jesus calls James, John, and Peter to follow him, here is their faith responding to him. This is what they said they did. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And then in verse 28, it says that Matthew left everything and followed him. 
faith sees Jesus and it sees the kingdom of God and it values it above all things and is willing to go after it. It, when When it compares the goods of this world and Jesus, it says no comparison. Oh, that would be a fool's choice for me to choose my goods over Jesus. This temporal, fading, deteriorating, rotting stuff over the eternal blessings? Psst, no problem. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. In other words, Jesus is saying that if there is anything in this world that prevents you from coming to me, then you can't come. No matter if it's family, if it's career, if it's ambition, if it's money, or whatever, if you want it more than you want the kingdom and the Christ of the kingdom, he says, you can't have the kingdom. It's the Father's delight to give you the kingdom. But it isn't for people who like want to hold on to the world and say, yeah, can I have the kingdom too as well? Can I have both? He said, no. No. It's all or nothing proposition. The kingdom, and, because it, it expresses our heart. It shows, and he says, what does Jesus say at the end of this passage? For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. By creating the dilemma, by creating this, this, this contrasting proposition, one or the other, Jesus knows what's going to happen. It's going to reveal our hearts. That either do I love God and love his kingdom and love his blessings and all that he has, or do I love the world and the things in it? By creating this, this dilemma, by having people choose all of me or none of me, it's the kingdom or the world you choose. Jesus was able to see their faith manifested. And do you, know you know when the rich young ruler departed from Jesus? It broke his heart. Because he made the fool's choice. Rich young ruler, how do you know that you don't even have ten more minutes of this life and then you come before God? And then that meaningless stuff that you have, where is it now? It's nothing. Yet eternal riches and goodness and glory was offered to you and you turned it down. You have to see such value in Christ and in his kingdom that you would hold on to nothing for it. Because nothing else compares to it. And often in life, you know, Jesus isn't coming up to us and asking us all here to sell everything you have and come follow him. That's not the call for us, but, he, but the call is the same. The principle is the same. He is asking you to do this. You better not have your hands on anything else and loving and clutching onto the world and the things in it and trying to get all of this and my kingdom. The issue is the same. Our hearts have to be fully and completely devoted to Jesus because we see in him and in his kingdom such value that everything else pales in comparison I've tasted the world, 
And it's, it's okay. It's pretty good. There's some good stuff there. Never lasts. And I've tasted the Lord and the goodness of his kingdom. And let me tell you, there's nothing like it. It's so good that you give up everything for that. Not only that, it's eternal. It has no end. The pleasures are eternal. In his presence is fullness of joy. Jesus knows that if we only could understand, if we only could see, if we could only perceive, if we could, it's, it's just, it's a simple choice. It's in fact, it's not even any sacrifice. Because I remember Peter, remember Peter's trying to say, yeah, we've left everything for you, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Matthew 19, 29, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold. And in, in another portion of scripture, it says not only in this life, not only in this life, but in, in the life to come, eternal, eternal life. He says, that, basically saying, yeah, I know you think you sacrificed a lot, but you gave up so much. But when you compare what you gained, you gave up nothing. Hudson Taylor once said, the missionary to China, to a, somebody who was asking him, how it is you can make such a sacrifice for the kingdom? He goes, he says to him, he is totally perplexed. Sacrifice? Sacrifice? This is no sacrifice. I've never sacrificed anything. Anything I try to give away, God gives back a hundredfold. Have you ever tried to deal with God? Have you ever tried to outgive him? Try it. The Lord is good, and your goodness pales in comparison. Our problem is always doubting his goodness, always doubting his love, always doubting how much he, he wants to give us. That's our problem. It's never him. It's always us. Now, the real question is, how dissatisfied are you with the world and the things in it? How dissatisfied you are you with the continuous failure of this world to give you what you want, to give you what you're looking for? And how much do you want the eternal goodness of God himself and his kingdom? If your heart's longing, looking, and gripping to the world and the things in the world, it can't and it won't ever invest and give itself to the kingdom because it feels like it's losing so much. Oh, no, my friends. <laughs> it's not. It's, you're gaining more than you could ever imagine. You know, the sad part is that many Christians do not invest in the eternal, do not invest in the kingdom. They give their time, they give their energy, they give their money to pursuing the temporal, the broken things of the earth. This is why Jesus says that in the kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. Because when you look at the people who are first in this life, those who are wealthy have it all and are constantly living the good life, sucking up all there is in this life, we're seeing, you're observing those who are going to be last. However, those who appear to be last, 
and the least in this life. They give their life for others. They spend their time, their energy, and their money on serving and helping and giving and sacrificing. They are going to be first in the kingdom, even though they appear in this world to be last. So when you see a person, you see a person investing their time, energy, and money in their toys, in their home, in their boat, in their work, in their clothes, in their status, in their looks, in their retirement, and just always just invest. That's where they invest so much of their time. You're seeing a person whose heart is in the world and after the things of this world. However, when you see a person who gives their time, energy, and money to advance the kingdom, you see a person whose heart is in the kingdom and is for the things of the kingdom. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So look what they're treasuring. Look at what they're after, and it reveals the heart. Let me, let me ask you this. If you were to sit down and look and spend time thinking about the way you spend your time, energy, and money, would that expression testify for you or against you before God? Would it declare your heart is for the kingdom? Or would it declare your heart is for the world? You know, I think for some of us, even good things distract us and get us. Good things even like family. I see people who are so much about family that family supersedes the kingdom almost. And the problem with doing that, you tell your, you tell, and this is what communicates to your children, that they are first and foremost. Which is just a horrible lesson to teach your children. Because your children need to see, they need to learn if they're discipled in anything, is that God and his kingdom needs to be first. That's what you need to disciple them in. That's what we need to train them in. That's what they need to see manifested in our life, that we are a family about the kingdom, about God and his kingdom. It's come on, children, and you disciple them in that. If you get come on ingrown, and this is what can happen, especially in circles like ours, we become so family-focused, so family-oriented, so much about the family, 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 that we become like this. And then we teach and disciple our kids that your God, your idol, is to be your family. That that's what you're to pursue. That's what you're to be after. No. You need to teach your children that what we pursue as a family, who we serve as a family, who we're after as a family, we're for God and his kingdom. That's where the goodness is. That's where the glory's at. And that's what we're after. The whole reason, the whole reason we raise our children and we want to raise them in a Christian education is not to keep them out of the world as long as we can, but to equip them to be able to enter the world and extend the kingdom of God. We want them to go into the world, engage the world, not to become like the world, but to, to seek the kingdom and advance the kingdom in their world. Then you know, yes, 
That's the glorious end of, of what I'm trying to train them to be and do. So the question we have to ask ourselves, all of us, very often, because you know what happens? We get drift, mission drift. We started off, it was all about the kingdom. And you're like, I don't know what happened, but now it's all of a sudden all about me, my world, my stuff, my things, my work. And I don't know where I went wrong. Believe me, folks, that happens. That happens. And we need to come to that realization. The most glorious thing we could ever do is say, that's me. Oh, God, forgive me. Forgive me, that's wrong. I've, I've went after these two-cent dreams, these two-bit rewards, and I've, not, and I've almost forsaken this eternal, amazing, awesome kingdom. Forgive me. You've got to see that it's a fool's choice. It's not even a choice. It's like, no. Lord, I give my heart fully and completely to your kingdom. Do you want to know where your heart is? Look at where your treasure is. Because there you'll find your heart. And when you see where your heart is, and if it's in the wrong place, please, repent. Amen. Father, we are so thankful that you are good and glorious and loving and awesome and kind, and generous, and good in every way. Your kingdom is everlasting. Your love is better than could be described. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Oh, Lord, that we may taste and believe and know that you are good. I pray for all the people here today, every soul here. Oh, Lord, draw them to you. Help them to see that they may have faith, that they might lay hold of the promises and stand on them and receive the blessings of the kingdom and taste and see that you are good. And they would easily give up this two-bit world and the things in it because it just does not, it, it pales in comparison. Father, may we give all that we have for you and for your kingdom because it's the only thing worth living for. We ask this in Jesus. Amen.